Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of Next Generation here at Treknobabble. This is Kevin. This is Matthew. And we are set and ready to go for Code of Honor, which I don't think I'm spoiling it for anyone by suggesting this is, if not the, certainly in the running for the worst episode of Next Generation, possibly the franchise. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh... I was reading up a little bit on it beforehand, and you know, Jonathan Frakes has cited this as his personal least favorite episode of TNG, uh, for what will become obvious reasons, as has Brent Spiner. Um, you know, but let's see. Let's see if there's anything to redeem it. Yeah, well, we, we ended up uh, softening, what was it, Way to Eden? I think we both went into that based on memory, expecting to just loathe that episode, and... Uh... I think in the end we, we, we upped it to it too. Like there was just yeah. enough there to. But then no one cares if you, you know, insult dirty, stinky hippies. Um, That's true. So <laughs> I'm queued up. I assume you're queued up, Kevin. As am I. Yeah, I'm ready you to go. to be queued up. And uh, let's just launch right into this thing. Uh, three, two, one, engage. So the planet effects early in the show are kind of lame. I mean, they're they're better than TOS, obviously, but they're not as detailed and as uh, they don't have as much variety as they're going to have later. Yeah. And we're getting our first. There's a plague somewhere, and the Enterprise has to pick up the cure. This is the essential plot. It's like we couldn't really think of any other. You know, source of tension. So there's a plague somewhere, and the Enterprise has to go somewhere else to pick up the cure and then go to somewhere to fix the something. Troy is wearing her (laughs) cummerbund. I don't know what, what that is. Yeah, I never, I was never a fan of this outfit. The hair is too severe, the makeup's too heavy. And the cummerbund is pointing to her crotch. And I, uh, it, little, little temporal note, I just finished watching the season finale of Project Runway, so I'm in a very fashion mode right now. And that is some wickety whack. That's all I gotta say. Uh, the, the X-Men symbol here, <laughs> they're beaming us. It's very strange. <laughs> but why are they beaming up to the cargo hold and not the transporter room? Well, apparently they just wanted to use this set. Uh, it also raises the question, the transporter room has those little steps. You think? I suppose they have separate cargo transporters, but it seems like if you were carrying anything, beaming it up to the transporter room would create a little more work for you than was absolutely necessary. Yeah, well, they, you know, they beam things directly to the cargo bay. So, you know, they've said this culture has remarkable similarities to our own. It's a highly structured society. <laughs> a woman? So, <laughs> alright, you at home. Which culture is this supposed to have remarkable similarities to? Yeah, this is... Out of my way, woman. Um, 
So let's just say that this appears to be some sort of caricature of the entire continent of Africa, uh, yeah, uh, as if the entire continent has one unified culture. Yeah, the the, the fancy schmancy word is pastiche. <laughs> and uh, the the unifying ethos of African continental culture apparently is gross disrespect for females. Uh, I don't know what else. Uh, the accents, the turbans. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like, it's like at least when you're reading like a H. Ryder Haggard novel, you can kind of go, oh, well, it was Victorian England. You, you you can't even do that here. This is just awful. And uh, so, little little history here. It's my understanding that uh, well, first this episode had two directors. The one who started this mess, and the one who, you know, because he was not God, was not capable of cleaning it up. But um, the first director, all the script said was that the two guards were black men, which in and of itself is somewhat troublesome. It's not like this game. Yeah. It's like, yeah. really? Really? Um, but the director decided to run with this. And, you know, okay, so we're in the opening credits, so I feel I have some space to talk here. I put some thought into this. We have gone to countless worlds full of white people. Nothing but white people, and that's not noteworthy. So I suppose... So it's not the planet full of black people, or even a planet that's, you know, visually or fashion-wise or historically inspired by an African culture that bothers me, because actually I think that would make sense. Like, if we're going to pick... We're going to have, you know, the planet full of blonde white people and the planet full of... You know, have like, okay, fine, I can actually accept that without it necessarily having to feel offensive yeah i mean we've had the planet full of nazis so yeah like like, like had they gone to a world where the women all wore saris and all the you know everything looked everyone was wearing bangles and things like that that would be fine as long as it was done thoughtfully and respectfully and at the attempt of actually creating a culture rather than a caricature which is clearly from the first moment these characters open their mouths what they've done well, and our teaser has ended uh, with a note of foreboding, and that is, uh, you know, lesser African pleading with greater African for uh, forgiveness because he allowed a woman to best him, and Lutan has said, she may be exactly what I've needed. <laughs> uh, write your own porn jokes. And so there's, okay, so Kirk, sorry, not Kirk, Picard has said that... An understandable mistake, my friend, we are, this episode reeks of original series plot. Yeah. Yeah, he said, we've noted your resemblance to an ancient Earth culture that we admire. Is he comparing them to the Ming? No, well, the Song Dynasty, but... Anyway, it's like, do they really admire the culture that this particular culture truly resembles? Or are they being, you know, sort of disgustingly patronizing? Um, you know, there's sort of a... In the same way that we're going to see a lot of the 
you know, oh, well, you know, back in the old days, people were crazy and they did these crazy things. And in the 24th century, we don't do those crazy things. Um, I mean, like they're clapping and uh, if it just well, seems like they're, they're they're patronizing this culture. Well, Troy looks pretty disgusted, but I can't tell if that's the character or the actress. <laughs> <laughs> well, it works out. I got to say his accent is not very good either. I will return shortly. Well, yeah, it's like, you know, I've met several people from various places in Africa, and not one of them sounds even remotely close to this. Well, but, you know, hey, this is a different planet, so they've got their own accent, I suppose. (laughs) It just happens to sound like a very badly done pseudo-African accent. Wouldn't that be unfortunate if there were a planet of people whose native language happened to sound like the offensive stereotyping of a language on Earth, like like the, you know, offensive Chinese, you know, Patois or Charlie Chan or what have you? That would be really awkward. Yeah. So, they've set up sort of the legal point upon which this episode's plot will turn. And that is that in this culture, <laughs> women are good for nothing except for owning the land. I, why would this state of affairs evolve? It, it, yeah, because you figure it just as, doesn't make sense. Wait, as, why would why would women who owned land and thus had some modicum of power and control the means of production submit to yeah. being treated like this? In it, you know. No rational female would. They'd be like, you know, yo, bitch, you know, I own the land. You know, you don't like walk around talking to me as if I'm not here or as if I'm, you know, stupid. So it just seems like something that got added in to to be a twist later. Like, yeah, the only possible way the system works is if the same cultural precepts that give women ownership of land would give men unparalleled, like, uncontroverted authority over children, which would still be problematic because they're not the ones who have the children. Like, like, there's a reason, I think, you know, cultures on Earth developed as patriarchies. It's that, you know, men could, by physical force, control the means of production on which, you know, women who were having children depended. That's how you get control. So, yeah, this completely makes no sense. And I want to know why the ninja here is wearing what looks like a wimple. This is the hat you're talking about? Yeah. Uh, well, he's uh, Aikido 1, I guess. Uh, and it, it did look more like Judo than Aikido, but whatever. Um, this is our second use of the holodeck in the series, uh, and it seems much smaller than before. Is it the uh, first use of the uh, grid? It's the first use of the grid. Uh, we didn't see the grid in Farpoint. All we saw was the forest with the door opening and closing on it. Um... I could create two, even three. But really, one is enough. <laughs> now, uh, I know for later episodes, they basically, it's, it's, uh, it's not a matte painting, but it's, it's, a, it's a composite shot. Well, they have a little bit of real wall with the yellow masking tape, and then they just layer over the bigger room. So the room's not actually that big. But I, I guess I'm okay with the idea that there are several holodecks on the ship, and maybe they're various sizes. Like, this holodeck is more suited toward you know, less complicated training programs. It's not meant to have... It's like the gym from right. the original series. It's not meant to have huge vistas. 
I, I find it interesting and it's always, you know, sort of puzzled and perplexed me. Uh oh. And now the black men have stolen the white women from the Enterprise. Yeah, I was, I was watching this. I think this was at your house, Matt. It was with another friend of ours and I made a joke that, ah oh, yes, the Star Trek episode where the black men kidnapped the white women. And my friend accused me of making a cla- uh, you know, a crass joke. And about ten minutes into the episode, he had to apologize to me because that's exactly what happened. Yeah. <laughs> like you think I'm just being cute, but I'm not. And you know, when I saw this episode as a kid, I, I knew something was wrong. I knew these people. This seemed. I was offended for a reason I couldn't articulate, but my, my lack of you know broader historical knowledge didn't quite inform me why the imagery of the stereotypical black men kidnapping the white women was so horrible. Because <laughs> it really is. Yeah, you know, I've never really read anything about uh, LeVar Burton and his re- reactions to this episode, but, you know, LeVar Burton is someone who played Kunta Kinte in Roots, you know, which is yeah. all about slavery and sort of the the evil effect that it had on countries and people and, you know, the, the dangers of boiling people down to a stereotype, you know, uh, the black people on earth are good for manual labor and that's it. I, I would just, you know, if I ever saw him at a convention, <laughs> that might be the question that I ask. <laughs> well, maybe so, it's one of those things where he hasn't spoken because he's choosing not to dignify the episode with commentary. Oh, and, <laughs> Oh God! This, needs. Oh my God! I forgot how awful this dialogue is. But a couple of things here, just you know, setting aside the awfulness of this development, Picard ordering the torpedo spread above their planet—that's just—is that just early characterization problems? Because he refrains from physical force in far more physically violent circumstances. Like he tried the torpedoes before he actually tried hailing them. Just it just struck me as odd. yeah. I it, I think it's just that's a function of it being an early episode. Um, Oof! I don't know, know if it's the DVD transfer. What the planet shot here? You can actually see like the pixel lines on the planet. Yeah, well, it's a composite shot. shot. You know, it, it's the video compositing, <laughs> and there's Wesley. I wonder what happened to those sweaters. I sincerely hope that they were assembled and sold as a unit at the It's a Wrap auction. Alright, so Crusher's scene here essentially is to tell us about how bad the thing that we've already forgotten about, the Angelese fever, uh, is. And to establish that we can't replicate the vaccine for some reason... It's it's some form of matter that's so complicated that although it can grow from a plant, it can't be replicated. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very artificial, I guess is what I'm saying. There's some characterization. Um, okay, that's a... This is a lovely moment when she, she asks where the cows are supposed to grow over our feelings, and he says the good ones never get them. The line is very artificial. No one actually talks like that, and Gaze McFadden gave it her all, but it just, it, the line just fell out of her mouth, and it's sad because otherwise, I think there was some opportunity here for a much more effective character moment if the dialogue weren't so stilted. 
So we're revisiting Wesley's story. Uh, when last we, well, actually, Wesley's had, you know, uh, quite a ride so far. In Farpoint, he irritated the captain with his precocious knowledge of bridge operations um, in a crisis. Then, uh, in the naked now, Wesley took over the ship, declared himself acting captain, and instituted new dessert rules. Uh, I feel for... wonderful, but also strange. <laughs> yes. Um, so, sir, sir, <laughs> I do like that the card, you know, is the whole ship deaf, but th- this does seem rather weird. Uh-huh. Like, especially when we're in a crisis. The, sh- the, the ship's chief of security has been kidnapped. This is not the time to give Wesley the keys. Well, and, you know, these people have transporters and stuff, so they must have some kind of technology with which they could cause problems for a starship. Uh, I, I, why aren't they at red alert? You know, like, just questions like that. Okay, so <laughs> now let's insult the American Indians. Counting coup. <laughs> and the French. This is one of the last times we're going to hear about Picard's Frenchiness. And so, yeah, maybe until we get to family in the family, fourth season. Essentially. But, okay, the way he said it, for centuries, French, like, they're speaking about French in the past tense, which implies that earth doesn't have does earth not have differentiated languages anymore do they all just speak you know whatever federation standard is it just happens to be english like well it sounds like english so to speak is the lingua franca of the uh the earth um, <laughs> you just got that yeah um, yeah but clearly picard knows french because there are several points at which he speaks in relatively fluent french to other characters Oh, he he uh, speaks in French the other characters understand as fluent. <laughs> yeah. And that we, the American audience, understand as fluent. Yeah. I find it interesting that they're not making visual contact. Yeah, by default, yeah. Well, it... and. The Ferengi episode, Last Outpost, is going to hinge on that, at least in some small way. Okay, I will say, I like this idea that they have briefings and they study these things. Yeah, and, and you know what? It's nice to see Counselor Troy get stuff to do. Yeah. You know, I didn't realize that she, in the first few episodes she actually had a job. And I, you know, I mentioned this before, that she gets... She's first contact officer on the Titan in the novels, and this actually supports that idea. Like, in a crisis, Picard needs someone to explain how to act with this alien culture in a way that will be productive, and that's Counselor Troy's job, which, you know, makes sense when Counselor Troy is a licensed professional woman with a degree in things, and, you know, is more than just, you know, the brunette eye candy as opposed to the redhead or blonde eye candy, and it's really sad that they kind of drop that over the course of the series. At least until Jellico makes put pants back on. Yeah, so again, here she's getting stuff to do. Um, and this this is this early conflict which was supposed to, uh, like we said in the last podcast, sort of fix the problems of TOS, which was 
you know, the captain rushing headlong into danger all the time, which doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, so we're already seeing some tension in this. And essentially, it's going to go away after a few seasons. They're not really going to mention that. Well, at that point, I think Picard stops going on so many away missions, like, just naturally, like, it just seems like, I mean, like, yeah, when he wants to lead the away mission or pilot the shuttle or whatever, Riker still, you know, coughs and clears his throat and Picard waves him off, but they don't have conversations about it anymore, which is good because this conversation's getting a little redundant. Well, you know, speaking of just early TNG in general, you know, that scene just lasted about two minutes, and all it's really doing is establishing that the captain's going to be on the away mission. You know, like, that seems like kind of a waste of narrative time. Uh, I mean, they could have they could have spoken via communicator. So this is his first one. Does that imply that this is a polygamist society, or that that's like the title that a first lady would have, or something? Ah, oh, the Jerry Curl. It's, it's not good. It's not good. I wonder how the actors themselves felt about this. I mean, do they die a little inside? Because just, it's so bad. Well, it's 1987. Uh, this is before the age of In Living Color. Uh, and before the age of, you know, great amounts of black characters on television. We had, you know, the Jeffersons and uh, Cosby Show uh, and a few other, you know, sitcoms which were specifically targeted at the black audience, but not in a, not exactly a surfeit of roles uh, on TV. So, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, is it kind of like being Aunt Jemima in Gone with the Wind? Like, you have to be as dignified as you can be you have to try to do justice to characters which are caricatures. I don't know. Yeah, that hairdo is not good. But maybe we're not qualified to talk about African hair. No, no I think the Jerry Curl is by now universally condemned as a sad, sad mistake. We just... So he's saying we shall retire until the festivities take place. This is a pretty nice matte shot, by the way. Yeah, it's a good painting, and it's you know. Although the, this background doesn't really jibe with it very well. Yeah. I mean, it's the same color, but there's no City's, there's no light in the background. Yeah. So who are these people, and why do they enjoy doing this with these sticks? I guess it's some sort of ceremonial thing. <sighs> But would a culture that has transport technology, uh, maybe they only break out the the rhythm sticks, you know, once a year or something. All right, so return her to us. Lutan has equals? I, I'm not 
quite understanding how the Ligonian government works. Also, is it a vaccine if you already have the disease? Yeah, it's more of a cure. I mean, they, people speak of vaccines in both, res, you know, both ways, but it, it only qualifies as a vaccine if it's also an inoculation. Yeah. Ah, Uranus Turban, also a, a sad choice, sartorially. All right, so... <laughs> no woman has challenged supersedence for over 200 years. So just That's... to... So again, to be clear, women own the land, but men can get a wife that outranks them at will... And despite the technical like right to land. do so, yeah. So, but and despite the technical right to do so, no one's done so. We assume because of some cultural more in two hundred years. How does that work? I don't. Yeah, it just there's no internal logic to this. At least it feels like they're not even trying. It's like the, the script is just like it's, even if all these actors were white and we weren't dealing with the horrid, just. All the all the awful caricatures here. This would still be a really poorly developed plot. Well, yeah, you know, I, I have to say I am glad while watching this that that I am not a black female who has to feel whatever feelings the average black female would feel. You know, kind of like Jesse Jackson Jr. type situations. You know, why does he want the white women more than the black women? All that kind of stuff. We have this. This scene is weird, by the way. <laughs> yep. So, Troy tricks her into admitting that she feels flattered by the sexual attention of Lutan. Yeah, but I, I don't believe that. <laughs> yeah, number one, why would she? And number two, why is it important for her to get that out into the open as counselor? It seems like a counselor should have more discretion. Than like, that. to say nothing of the fact, let's assume for the moment that in the, you know, classic, you know, once you kidnap and assault her, she'll totally love you, and then she'll like you, paradigm here, that Yara actually decides to stay with Lutan. That would actually be the end of the conversation. Like, Picard, I don't think, would then try to forcibly take Yara over Yara's objections, right? Uh, no. No. He would try to determine if she's being coerced, or, uh, you know, whatever. But that would, that, that would then be the end of it. So it seems like Get, it, it seems like analyze it, it i i don't know my 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 brain and my soul hurt <laughs> this room i think was reused in angel one another spectacularly <laughs> uh interesting episode in tng season one i know that lamp in the yeah. background there shows up again Datazoid blood is practical. So, Captain, everyone can be reduced to a stereotype of an entire planet. And my stereotype is, we get shit done. Yeah, one problem I have with this episode, which TNG does better on later, is the monocultural planet. Yeah. You know? uh, well, well, planets become cities. Both in terms of their cultures and in terms of their size and geography. Where yeah. it's like, Ah, he's fled to Rigel 4. 
okay. Well, and well, look, Rigel Four is six billion people on a planet. Good luck finding. It. It's like it's just like it seems like the the idea of searching a planet or going to a planet would be how we would consider like flying to New York. Yeah, and I'm okay with it given the constraints of you know a 45 minute teleplay that we're not going to see every culture on a planet. So as long as you don't specifically imply or state or you know that this is the culture of the planet i'm okay with it because in my imagination i can think oh these are just the people they're actually talking with just like if you know aliens landed on earth and talked to the spanish you know it's like that doesn't mean there aren't the french and the germans and the americans but they've said explicitly in this episode that this is the way their culture is and based on the situation there's no other way to get the vaccine. So unless it only grows on this continent, this is the culture of the planet. Uh, and yeah, it, this is a very weird culture. Ah, oh, goodness. We understand that women are highly pleasant things, but after all, unimportant, except for the land they own. I'm okay with a character expressing an opinion like that. And it, okay, fine, it says something about the character or the character's culture, but logically it doesn't seem to make sense. Where, either you're not respecting the landowning rights of the women, and so it's just bullshit that they're saying that women own the land, or the culture just wouldn't work on its face. At, why is Jordy shaving blind? I, well, I guess if you wanted to get his sideburns under the visor. Oh, uh, maybe. This is an odd little scene to come right in the middle of this story. Okay, he's Data still... has adjusted some sort of electronic shaver to be perfect. Yeah, the thing is, Jordy's still using an electric shaver here. It's not, and it's not like a. It does. Is it like a Norelco where it's actually touching his face? It doesn't. Yeah, it's like a it's like a beaming shaver. It's like a phaser like a shaver. Shaver. Yeah. Like a whisker transporter or something. Right. So it's not like he's not using tech anyway. It's not like he. It's not like he's you know has a strop and a straight razor that he's uh honing before Jordy before Data walks in. I like the almost predatory way Data tells this joke. Jordy is blind. And he's just been turned around, and Data's backing him into a wall. How does he know where he is? I... Well, if it's if it's Jordy's quarters, we could assume he has perhaps some increased uh, spatial awareness of them. Yeah, maybe. But he got turned around by it. I don't know. I find the lighting in uh, crew quarters in early TNG kind of weird, like this purple, purple pink neon weirdy kind of stuff yeah yeah I wonder if that waterfall appears in later episodes that was an interesting shot you could clearly tell that Picard wasn't looking in the Where direction they in, yeah um, because it's two separate shots being composited, uh, and then they cut right away, 
at the end of the, the effect. Most interesting. Data's a lieutenant commander. This has taken more than a dozen years. I understand dramatically in the context of the show why it's fun to have Data have these foibles. But it kind of doesn't make sense. Well, some of them go too far. Like, he knows what quantum physics is. How does he not know what snoop means? He at least has a dictionary in there, right? Yeah. Like, occasionally they just go too far. It's like the same thing we're going to see in Data Lore with his magical fiat by fiat inability to use contractions. It's just, well, Data has to have some quirk because he doesn't understand humans. And then they just take it too far. Like, I'm fine with Data not getting irony. In a way... Data's autistic. You know, there's that, you know, pathological inability to assess emotions. Like, he'll look at someone crying and, like, in a flat voice, why are you crying? Not understanding that, you know, that's actually going to make the crying worse. Like, because that's not how Data conceives of the universe or relationships or people. And that's fine. But he knows what words mean. And that, yeah. This scene that just transpired in which Picard was lecturing on the Prime Directive uh, it's kind of funny. We're going to see this, these kinds of graphs again, uh, by the way. Uh, these okudograms. Um, also, the lighting on this is very strange. There's clearly a, a very strong light source to the front of Yeah, like it's in the center of the bridge, like a Klieg light just in the, in the well. Oh, Yars, uh, Talking a little smack, yeah. Yeah. See, it's like... Okay, in addition to her being named Yarina, like, couldn't she have come up with something that didn't sound like Yar? Um... Oh god, I never noticed that before. Now I'm both embarrassed because of the stupidity of the plot point and that I didn't catch it for 20 years. But also, um... <sighs> the musical cues here also. Oh, it's very dramatic with the, with the bongo drums in the background. Um, I find it very strange, the motivation that seems to be implied with Yarina. You know, she's upset with Lutan, but she still wants him. I, I don't know. So does Lutan get to keep her land, and that's why she's fighting? She doesn't really want Lutan. She just wants to keep her title. Um, yeah, it doesn't imply... Yeah, it's very badly developed. See, now that's reasonably funny. Do 
See, the subtitles are just said, you're welcome, contraction. Yep. <laughs> she loves him without reservation. This is Yar's interpretation of what she's just experienced with Yarina. Uh, as Troy pointed out to me, I'm attracted to him. Why would, why would a 24th century human female be attracted in any way to this pompous brigand? Yeah, he's not even that attracted just objectively. I mean, no. so if the dude's listening, sorry. I mean, it's just, you know, maybe it's just the way they're styling him, but he's not. You know, his assistant guy's at least a little more cut, but, you know, I just... Nothing in this episode is happening because the because organic character or story development says it should. It's happening because the script just arbitrarily decreed it. Like Yars. I want to point out also that Picard delivered a line a minute or so ago about how we have to respect the customs no matter how ridiculous they are. Which, like I was saying earlier, it. Uh, It certainly calls into question the level of respect that they actually had at the beginning of the episode for this culture. Now, what if Jordy hadn't been there? And these people had just given her this weapon. You know, boxes with poison, yeah. With this instantly fatal alkaloid poison. And she just touched one of the edges to test how sharp it is. You know? Shouldn't they mention that? So, yeah. What do you think about these? I mean, clearly it's like fluorescent tubes, but I think we're supposed to take them as uh, energy beams that can destroy things. Um, I remember as a kid, you know, thinking that's kind of cool. You know, like energy beams are cool. So it looks like they're on yellow alert. Yeah. Uh, ooh, ugly Wesley like sweater number four. Do you like the giant racing stripe, asymmetrical? Eep. <laughs> what does that mean? They've got eyes only for the program. I guess he must be thinking about the the contest or yeah. something. Yeah. Well, well, maybe maybe there's like you know, a, a, some speeches, some light music. You know, it's a it's a sad coincidence that the Wadi in Deep Space Nine also favor these sticks because that was also a horrible early episode of that series. Oh, move along home. Yeah, I like the bandana. It's pretty yeah, awesome. It's, it's very karate kid. Yeah, as, as well as the uh, like Apollo Creed, you know, a boxer coat with the hood and. This guy doesn't seem to have the same accent as uh, Lutan. Yeah, yeah. Which is good for him. And for us all, really. <laughs> yeah, the the consistency and coherency ship has sailed. Uh, so you know we don't have to. 
Okay, you know, is this a physically exciting set? Eh, I guess. The set seems designed in a way that it would be designed by men to watch women fight. The poles would only actually interfere. There's not nearly enough space or leverage to actually use them any creative way. It would just be easier to attack each other. But watching women, like, flit around and, like, they're stripper poles, essentially. Okay. Clearly they said no one interrupted. This, the, the, I'm just saying, they interrupted it. And... His blood just disappeared, by the way, in between those two shots. <laughs> that wasn't really instantly lethal. It took, you know... And what was weird seconds. was he didn't even know he had been stabbed. He was like, doopy-doopy-doo, here's the glove. Oh, well then. Aww. Yeah, what, what do we think of Yurina's, like, gold lame onesie thing? Is that, I think it's got, it's purpley. Uh, I think that might be the lighting. Yeah. It's very difficult to tell. We'll, um, see, we'll see better on the Enterprise in a minute. I love William Wertheis, but... This was not his best work. Not his finest day. If she didn't have a jerry curl, Yarina would probably be a pretty attractive chick. Well, if she didn't have the jerry curl and, like, the hideous jumper, yeah, I mean... Well, yeah, but I'm just saying the jumper actually shows she has a pretty good body. Yeah. And he's like, this shit's getting real now. Oh, wait, they're beaming away. Yeah, I think they should have, like, used poison pillows or something. In, in their poison nighties? Yeah, and poison nighties. Okay, now we're going to engage in the dumbest resolution ever in the history of the franchise. Even if this is not the worst episode, this is the worst plot device. I am willing to say that hands down. The well, way I don't know about that, but it certainly seems directly contradictory to the scene we've just endured in which Picard pontificates on the Prime Directive. Okay, it's also directly contradictory to logic, which I'll get to after they actually do it. If you can inherit the title of wives that you don't like anymore, why don't you just arrange for them to be killed somehow? Well, that would, I suppose, violate their code of honor. Sorry. Yeah. We should have a drinking game where anytime someone says the title of the episode, we have to drink. Like, for the rest well, of the series. Picard did say it once. And so did Data. Now, it suddenly occurs to me, I find it odd that the entrance to the observation lounge is through the bridge. It means anyone you want to talk to at your conference table has to come through the bridge, which seems to be a security risk, but... Isn't there another door? Yeah, but I think it's just a turbo... Uh, may okay, maybe. It's, yeah, it is. A, maybe it's like a turbo lift thing. Yeah, there's doors on either side. There will be no treaty, no vaccine, and, and no... And no, Lieutenant... Uh, uh, we missed that line. It was earlier. Okay, this, this, 
dumbest idea ever. So, okay, so she died. She's dead. Property entitled transfer to her husband, who is now free to keep it while he marries Tasha. Okay, so now she's not dead. So, But it reverts back to her. But the marriage is still dissolved. Yeah, it... Like, yeah. her death is her death. Either she died and is dead, or is not dead at all. Because, correct like, okay, you're the philosopher. The medical death of, you know, heart stopping or brainwave stopping becoming... Isn't death permanent? Like, if you come back from death, then you weren't really dead. You were just severely injured. Yeah, most definitions of the self uh, would... <laughs> Here you are, twist the knife a little bit. Um, most definitions of the self. <laughs> no, I don't want to. See, to me, this is one of the big problems of the episodes, is this notion that Yar has any positive feeling for Lutan at all. Yeah. Um, anyway, most definitions of the self stipulate that if you have continuance of memory, uh, you're the same person. Right. You know? And so she's not really dead. She was just dead for a little bit. Uh, they might have had to establish some sort of form of definition of death in Ligonian code that would make this okay. And among all the other things they wasted time for, they didn't waste time on doing that. Well, Kelly's asking, how could Beverly let her die? Uh, I think the dialogue on the pad, the transporter pad, was supposed to indicate that she was dead. And so, and but this was the B plan the entire time. Like it just, yeah, this this episode, even but even, I mean, I suppose you really have to put your shoulder into an episode where, notwithstanding the horrible racial stereotyping, it's still a terrible episode. Most yeah. episodes where there's like a characterization or a design choice that's really bad, you take it away, the episode remains good, and it's what makes the choice so tragic. Here, there is nothing that redeems this episode. There's barely a couple of character moments, like the one between Picard and Crusher when he says, the, perhaps the good doctors never do. That was genuine. I felt well, that. And, and Troy gets a few okay things to do. Yeah, we, uh, there's some establishment of what her job is, and I like that. But there is... Okay, let's... Oh, God. Okay, let, let's let's break it down. We have a rubric, so we don't... Well, wander... write, writing. To me, I would point out a few things. Ligonian culture <laughs> makes no sense. Alright? Here's point number one. Uh, Ligonian culture is a gross and offensive stereotype of apparently... Somebody's notion of what all African cultures are like. Yeah, I'm re I'm stunned that the, like like in the old like you know Bugs Bunny Porky Pig cartoons when they go to like there's like dark darker and darkest Africa like it actually says it on the map that they're traveling on. I'm surprised no one said that. Like that's that's the only thing they're saying. Uh, number three, character motivations, both main characters, especially Lieutenant Yar, and uh, guest characters make no sense. Uh, Yarina's motivation makes no sense. Uh, Yar, the, the way they establish that she has some form of attraction to Lutan is artificial in the extreme, and also 
horribly offensive. Completely, there's a complete lack of registering in any of the actors uh, that there's any such chemistry. You know? Yeah, like, it's like you can almost see her biting her lip while she says. Like, yeah, maybe had it been one of those like like had they spent a few scenes before the kidnapping where. There was chemistry, maybe a little flirting. She doesn't know he's married, so she thinks it's okay. And he could have he could have fought the Aikido program and done really well, and Yar could be really impressed by it or something. Right, or you just know? a little bit of chemistry there to be like, oh, they actually liked each other, and that may, maybe then it wouldn't be as it like because then at least she can go, oh, I'm attracted to him, but what he did that he thinks is culturally acceptable, I find aberrant. That might have been a, then. Then that's you know what we're trying too hard. Well, yeah, no, I don't think we're trying too hard. Look, <laughs> you might have been able to salvage a little bit of, like, let's say instead of the scenes we get at the beginning of this episode, they go down to the planet and they go on some sort of ritual safari or something. Okay, you know, you could say interesting things about hunting animals for sport. Number one, but number two, you would have time and scenes together in which they can establish mutual admiration for each other. Like, maybe Yar's really good with weapons, you know, and Lutan saves her life from, you know, some giant Lagonian beast or whatever. Uh, yeah, well, so that they didn't break the story like that. And, you know, much the worse for the episode. Um, the dialogue is pretty atrocious. You know, especially the, uh, what is it, no, no vaccine... No treaty, no vaccine, and no oh, lieutenant. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's really awful. So yeah, I mean the few bright spots we mentioned don't really salvage it. I guess uh, it's it's the one on, on, in terms of writing. I would say. <laughs> Do you agree, Kevin? Oh yes, only because our scale does not allow for zeros. Like, just yeah, there is. Well, I don't think it breaks the universe or anything. But... <laughs> it breaks my heart. <laughs> yeah, but that's not the Star Trek universe. Yeah. Um, it... yeah okay, moving on. Acting. I don't want to... Okay, the acting was bad, but that's because the writing was bad. There was, I mean... Just, yeah, Laurence Olivier, like, working in working on, like, some crack team with, you know... I don't know, uh... Peter Ustinov. Yeah, and, uh, who the hell is this in Kane? I'm blanking on the name. I'm trying to come up with it for 30 seconds. Um... In Citizen Kane, Orson Welles? Thank you. Couldn't, could not remember Orson Welles' name, but this episode has drained my intelligence. Yeah, like, like, the best actors the Western world has ever known on the actingest day of their life with the aid of an electrified acting machine could not salvage those lines. Hmm. I don't know. Lawrence Olivier is pretty good. But... <laughs> he could be in blackface, like for Othello. That would have that would have been the cherry on the Sunday, See, wouldn't it? Yeah, if Alec Guinness <laughs> in blackface as Lutan, like like he was in Lawrence of Arabia, I don't know. Maybe this episode could have worked then. I think. Oh, we're gonna get. This is to say, as far as acting goes, I think they cast the characters badly. You know. Like, if Lutan is supposed to be charming uh, and and alluring, they could have switched the two actors, uh, Hagon and Lutan, first of all. Yeah. Uh, Hagon, just just more good-looking in the way that, you know, 
we in America of the late 20th and early 21st century would consider people good looking. Um, you know, that could have helped the situation. <sighs> yeah, Yarina, not good. Um, Brent Spiner wasn't particularly good. His jokes came across as a bit wooden. You know, you can forgive that because it's early. Um, uh, was anybody good? Troy was okay. Kelly Crusher, Saint- Crusher was okay. I mean, acting's a two only because acting was not what caused the problem. You know? Like, this wasn't a good script badly acted by a guest star. There are plenty of incidents of that, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, uh, this was not it. I want to give well. Acting gets a two because it wasn't their fault. But I can't give it more than that because, you know, it is what it is. Whew. Well, yeah, I don't know. Even if the main cast was acceptable, the guest cast was pretty bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know whether it's called acting a one or a two. Um, it was very, very, very bad. Uh, you know, if acting is on a scale over the entire franchise, this is certainly in the bottom decile. So, you know, uh, I'm willing to call the acting a one. Production values, uh, costumes were pretty atrocious. Um, the stripper poles annoyed me. Well, yeah, you know, the sets were marginally interesting on their own, but nothing felt expansive. Everything felt very enclosed. It didn't really seem like it was on top of this sort of Acropolis, uh, hill. Uh, the matte painting was okay. <laughs> um, the weapons looked kind of stupid. I will say, I do like that the glove, that whatever gauntlet, is on Worf's coffee table in future seasons. Yeah. (laughs) So I appreciate that as horrible as the episode is, in-universe, this would be an important moment in in Yar's life, and Worf, if Worf were going to keep a memento of Tasha, it would be from a battle she won. Yeah. Yeah. that is that actually doesn't make this episode any better. No, no, money could not. Like if if Paramount walked up to me now and said, "Here's a million dollars to say this is a good episode," I don't think I could do it. Oh, I, I'd take the million. <laughs> I would find things to like about this episode. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I, but yeah, um, production values. Yeah, it's it's a one. The costumes are terrible. The set, like, and the coloring was weird. Like that weird permanent sunset red made everything just move weirdly in shot like it just never yeah that's where i am uh you know i'm willing well yeah i don't know i guess again if we're judging it against all other episodes uh it's definitely near the bottom in terms of production values as well uh you know maybe close to something like angel one um Justice is probably better. <laughs> Justice uh, at least has some nice outdoor shots at a water yeah, reclamation it's point. Yeah, good location shots. Like, this was clearly on a soundstage from the get-go. So, uh, Kevin, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I'm dying with anticipation you know, to know what your final verdict for this episode is going to be. Yeah, this this is a one. <laughs> I'm fr- Okay, what's really shocking to me, and when I watch Next Generation in order... 
is we get Encounter Farpoint, which is a solid, very good, not perfect, but very good introduction. The characterization's there. Some very nice and will, what will eventually be recurring Star Trek elements are there. So that's enough to make me want to watch. Uh, you like Naked Now more more than I did. I, I had more problems with some of the cheesier moments that pull the episode down for me. But Naked Now wouldn't make me want to not watch. Like, it at least goes, okay, they're recycling a TOS plot, it's a new series, they're going to do that, hopefully they'll stop and I'll tune in again. I can imagine even a diehard Trekkie watching this episode going, oh, oh no, 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 no. Like, this is worse than the depth of season three of TOS. Yes, like... Cer- this... Certainly worse than Space Hippies, worse than Spock's Brain, uh... Like, this would make me go, clearly this show is not going to be good, and I'm going to stop watching now. Well, see, luckily for them, they didn't string too many of these stinkers in a row. Uh, I'm always willing to give a show, you know, because I know how TV goes. You know, different people write different scripts, right? Yeah. You know, and sometimes different producers produce different scripts. So it could just be that this was a fluke, you know? The showrunners really blew it on this one. The, well, the, the, the director who was have... responsible for the horrible black stereotypes was eventually fired and replaced. So at least even while things were going on, there was at least some demonstration. I don't know if that would have been known to the audience, but some demonstration that the people running the show gave a damn about the quality of their work yeah. product and recognized that this train had gone extremely off the rails. I think it became apparent that this was a stinker at some point during the episode, during the filming of the episode. And, uh, you know, they took steps to rectify it. Okay, so anyway, the episode as it stands, I agree, is a one. Certainly, I mean, it'll it'll be on the list when we try to figure out what the ten worst in the history of the franchise are. It'll probably be in the bottom three. Um, it's really, 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 really bad. Like, like everything you built up with, you know, having a black woman on the bridge of your ship who wasn't a maid, and an episode in what is some heavy-handed but still fairly stunning allegory for the time on, you know, black and white, you've just canceled it out. You are now back at zero on this issue. You have undone all the good you did, and now you must start over. Yeah, um, alright, so that's a total of a two. Uh, we'll see if we get this low again in season one. Uh, it'll be interesting to chart the progress of season one and see if it, you know, if this is a blip or if it's indicative of serious fluctuations in quality throughout the entire season. Um, yeah, well, I guess that's all I have to say about that. Yes, I'm... <laughs> on some level, like, there's part of me that It's so bad it's good in a way. In a way. Like, it's not quite... He's shaking her head no. <laughs> like, there are other episodes that I want to watch an episode so bad it's good. Like, oh, I watch Spock's Brain, because Spock's Brain doesn't make me feel bad on the inside. Brain and Brain? What is Brain? He shall have no treaty, no brain, and no Lieutenant Yar. Oh, um, I don't know. I, uh, yeah. Okay, so very quickly, is it so bad it's good? Kind of. Oh, only to a diehard Trekkie. 
because like I've tried to, I, I'm in the middle of a project to get some of my coworkers to watch Next Generation. I've explicitly instructed them that should they turn on Next Generation on any of the six channels it's on now and encounter an episode called Code of Honor, they are to keep flipping. They should not watch Code of Honor early on. Because I yeah, think it would it, turn the... <laughs> you, have to, you have to be grounded in the universe to accept this insult and, and to continue merrily forward. Yeah, it's, okay. It's like, and, and, yeah, okay. Everyone but it, gets... do, it doesn't break the universe in fundamental ways. So I, I'm willing to at least grant it that. <laughs> Congratulations. You only, you only smeared the walls with excrement inside the four walls of your episode. You didn't destroy an entire universe. You should be proud of yourself. <laughs> yes. The, the ship did not <laughs> breach the fourth wall. Uh, okay, this I'll say this for the episode. It was fun to podcast because very few opportunities will we be able to indulge in so severe a Mystery Science Theater 3000 style uh, soundtrack to an episode. All right, well, uh, Kevin, do you know what our next episode is going to be? Uh, not not off the top of my head. I don't have our, our list in front of me. What's up next? Well, well it'll be a surprise for us all. Yeah, so... Good night. Uh, keep washing the skies. But not uh, this episode. But not this episode. <laughs> Move on to the next disc, people. There's nothing to see here. Yeah, uh, the next episode in chronology, there won't be our next podcast, but at least I don't think it is. It's The Last Outpost. The, in- yeah. the introduction of the Ferengi. There's a lot there. We'll- yeah, certainly not as bad as this episode. Yeah, and then we'll get to it. So uh, ha- have a good night, everyone. Yep.